Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 80. It is March 24th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. The calendar says it's a Tuesday, so I'm just going to go ahead and believe that that's actually true. I don't know if there's any other way to verify that. Um, time continues to take an unusual, very flat sort of shape. Nothing nothing really stands out anymore. I, I kind of know what day it is based on which podcast I'm hosting. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to keep to my routines of like when I run and you know my sober you know my dry days and like um uh you know all that stuff but I I have to say it is actually harder uh than usual and I I don't think it's because I'm like I am I am stressed out because I have to be now the kid's teacher as well as everything else you know um and uh and the kids are home more and everyone's home more. Like there's more, there seems to be more stuff to do. That's not work. Um, but on top of that, there's just this, like, who cares if I have a beer on Monday? <laughs> right. You know, like who cares? I might not be a, another Monday. <laughs> that's to feel like, uh, like, uh, like, why should I even run? <laughs> what if we don't go outside anymore? It won't matter how fat I am. You know? <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, it, it helps to just uh, get that sort of feeling of normalcy and you know, get your get your run in, have your dry days, eat your broccoli. Uh, the only and, and, and the thing about it is really is the the beer you have after your couple of dry days, after you're running, after your broccoli, the beer you have that Thursday or Friday is going to taste better if you didn't have one every night. This is true. Uh, I think so. there's also the opportunity, though, if you've been cellaring beers to mm-hmm. actually get through some of them. You know, like ordinarily, if you're only partaking on the weekends, it takes a very long time to get through a well built cellar. So if you've been hoarding or cellaring beer in particular, uh, you've now probably lowered the bar for what it takes to open something nice. <laughs> yeah, but I like to really like I, I like to do say those for special occasions where I have a friend over or something and we we share it. <laughs> I did uh, do something virtually like that this weekend. I played Dominion online with some friends. We did a video chat and I drank. Uh, well, I don't know. Is it is it time for beer of the week? I guess it would be Thursday, but beer of the month. Or I think whatever. I think we do beer drank, of the week at this point. We're we're back into yeah. beer of the week. <laughs> but I drank. Um, I've talked about this before, and it's probably even been a beer of the week. Uh, the Maui Imperial Toasted Coconut Stout. Yeah. But this one had. Let me see. It's right here in the trash can. Oh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Gonna make a mess. This one had uh, ale brewed with toasted coconut malasadas, coconut sugar, and coconut milk powder. Now, I don't even know what malasadas are, but they tasted good. Let's learn. And I toasted to my friends and resisted the urge just to drink out the damn bottle. (laughs) Uh, So, poured it into a glass. Malasadas are a yeast donut of Portuguese origins that are very popular in Hawaii. Well, why have I not had one? Okay, well, next time I get to Hawaii, next time there's traveling allowed. 
Portuguese influence in Hawaii. That, that, there's a history lesson that I have to go take. I don't, I don't know anything about that. Hawaii's got a, a kind of a cool collection of cultures that come together there. Uh, East, East, uh, you know, sort of East Asia and, and the Western influence come together there in a really fun way. Uh, I enjoy the food there, especially. Yeah, I enjoyed that as well. That was uh, a highlight uh, of my honeymoon almost 11 years ago now, which 11 years ago feels like a thousand years. <laughs> right. so we're just trying to scale everything down to modern life and, and how things feel. But uh, other topics for this episode, we're going to talk about out of the park a little bit. You've got a 30-team league you've put together. That's getting off the ground very soon. Uh, the KBO Intersquad streams are picking up thanks to the sharing efforts of Dan Kurtz. You can find him on Twitter at MyKBO. Uh, we have an update potentially on the Fantasy League that we talked about potentially putting together around the KBO. I know that's a project that you've got on uh, one of the burners right now. And you wrote a piece recently about training in isolation. So we'll talk about some of the you know, potential impacts of that and, and some of the, the ways that players are going to be challenged depending on their situations to you know, be prepared whenever the season uh, is able to start up. Uh, we have some ideas from our mailbag about playing with old stats and some questions about street cred in the fantasy industry, as well as Zach Plezak's pickoff move, which is a very specific question, but I still appreciate that question. Yeah, it really is. I, had never, I never thought that would be a question we'd receive, so I'm looking forward to, to running <laughs> through these. But let's start with Out of the Park. Uh, I think this kind of stacks up as... One of the better options if you are really missing baseball and you want to play something that resembles fantasy and the roster construction process. And the cool thing is like I have just started to scratch the surface with it. So I am a noob, as they say, in the gaming world. They probably don't say that anymore. Uh, but I, I don't really know what I'm doing with Out of the Park. So I opened it up before your league launched and um, I started a season with the Brewers. And uh, as as the role of GM and, and manager both now fall on my shoulders, I am David Stearns and Craig Council. Uh, the first thing I saw when I opened it up for the new season was a message, an email from Mark Atanasio, who owns the Brewers. And it was a list of three things that he wanted. He wanted to make the playoffs this season. He wanted to make the World Series in the next four years. And he wanted Eric Sogard signed to an extension. And I thought, oh, one of these things is not like the others. Uh, <laughs> but it made me wonder. I'm like, okay, this is a very realistic sim. And we know teams sometimes are, are in a position to surprise us. And we don't really understand why they do the things they do. And it kind of made me wonder, like, is this actually some of the realistic pressure that you get in the front office where you have goals that generally make sense for your team and then one sort of off-the-wall goal from ownership that – you think, wow, I, I wasn't going to prioritize that at that level, but it's important to ownership, so now I have to do it. You know, I, I kind of wondered if that was part of the, the nightmare twist to the dream job of running a baseball team. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that I've heard off, like extremely far off the record when it comes to uh, dealing with ownership and, you know, which ownership situations are the worst. I talked to one GM that refused to interview for the job in, I think it was Anaheim, um, before, before he got a job with another team. And 
you know, that one, that one sticks out. I think Baltimore, uh, there have been sort of, we're not signing that guy because of this thing I saw on his medical report and I'm not a doctor. I am Peter Angelos. <laughs> that one, that one is the one that stands out the most in my mind when that job was last available. There were people denying interest in it without even really being asked about it. Like there'd, there'd be like <laughs> a good GM candidate being interviewed about a completely different topic and they would almost just by like, the way. hey, um, yeah, so this is what's going on uh, with Brent Honeywell. Um, also, I don't want the Orioles job. <laughs> Please don't call me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I think the, the Mets come to mind, obviously. Um, and the Mets one, I think, is maybe one of the more problematic for this reason. Sometimes they are proactive, like in your Eric Sogard situation, where they say, oh, we really want this. And, you know, I don't, I love David Wright as a player. And some of what happened with his back and everything was not predictable. But I also think that that deal wasn't amazing. And I think that it was, you know, there's another situation where they had Jose Reyes late in the season. They weren't contending, but Jose Reyes was in it for the bad batting title. And the rumor is that the Wilpons nixed a, a trade that would have gotten, you know, the Mets something when, when Jose Reyes left after that for nothing, uh, because he wanted him to win a batting title for the Mets. Uh, which I'm sure does not drive uh, attendance. No, right. And I, I think like the Sogard example, I don't think that's some, some sort of like advanced <laughs> yeah. sim understanding of Mark Atanasio as an owner. I think it was kind of a, a random thing that owners sometimes yeah. will ask for. So I just thought that was a, a really funny goal when some the other two were just so like lofty and, and made so much sense. I think some of the worst deals that you can think of had a tinge of the of ownership to them. Well, there was that year the Padres got really aggressive, and I might I might confuse some of the players they were bringing in, but you know Matt Kemp, Justin Upton, the guys that were Padres for like one minute. That was a little bit different. I think what happened there was you had AJ Preller coming in as a new manager, and I think you've seen the, as a new general manager, you've seen this with some general managers. They'll come in, and especially ones that think that they can, um, like think about uh, what happened with the Mets, you know come in and trade away young assets that you did not draft that you have you don't have uh, you know any sentimental ties to that you think you can replace with a good draft of your own players trade those away for present value because you just got the job and you need to make you need to make a splash and so AJ Preller did that it did not work out and then he has a second life. You have to kind of think of yourself as having like two or three lives as a GM. His second life is telling ownership, okay, well, the first one didn't work, but you know I'm a, I'm a guy who builds from the, from the inside, and I'm going to build with the best prospects, and you're going to see this. And so his second life is coming to fruition now. Now, if they don't win in the next two or three years, he's gone. Right. But yeah, he's he's in a spot right of, now. Like he, the, when when this season picks up, like he's definitely one of those GMs that needs to show ownership results. Like even what did Jerry Depoto do? Even even in Seattle, where it seemed like maybe they should rebuild, the first attempt that Jerry Depoto made was to win. Now, then he traded away everything for for future, uh, and now he's building. And, and you also have to think about it like this: when you come into a new situation. You really want to make some fundamental changes to how player development is done, how people communicate, how the organization works. 
And those things won't come to fruition for two or three years. So you need to buy yourself those two or three years. Otherwise, you're just going to lose, 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 and you won't ever get those fundamental organizational changes through. So it does make sense to kind of try and win now at the beginning and at the same time be changing underlying structures uh, in order to win later. It's fun that I've got the Padres and that 30-team sim that you're setting up. But uh, as far as out of the park goes... You do? I thought I gave it to Ian Cobb. No, he's got the White Sox. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> I knew I gave him a team with some youth. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm excited. I, I like the Padres. They're, they're a fun team. I think they're on the cusp of making the playoffs. And uh, being A.J. Preller in a sim is, uh, is a fun opportunity. But I've got the Mets, so I've got to try and figure that out. For some reason, the sim really wanted Luis Guillorme to start. <laughs> is that an and ownership like, request? <laughs> I don't know. It was like the default starter in all the lineups. And I'm like, uh, listen, Robinson Cano has fallen off, but <laughs> I'd rather have his bat in the lineup. So, uh, uh, yes, Guillaume is going to play a fair amount because he's my backup at short, second, third. <laughs> I snuck in a little J.D. Davis backup at third action, but. Yeah, it's fun, um, and I think uh, it's a fun way for people. It's not; it doesn't cost too much, um, and it's a fun way to people to kind of simulate out their favorite season. You can pick your team, and you're basically the general manager, and the manager, uh, and you can simulate out games. You can get your box score fix, and um, you know, right now we've been feeling it because we do fantasy here, and we're very forward looking, and 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 that's it's very difficult to be forward looking without an actual date to look forward to. But uh, it's going to hurt more on Thursday. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to be a strange day. I, I'm planning on listening to the Brewers' opening day from a year ago. They're replaying. I think I mentioned that on on the last episode. But mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be one of those reality check days where you're like. This is the day I was going to be at the ballpark. This was the day I was going to smell the brats yeah. cooking on the grill. This was the day uh, the crowd was going to roar for a first pitch that was probably just a 92-mile-an-hour strike down the middle. Like, you know, just the, yeah. the things that you expect on opening day uh, aren't going to be there. And I'm like a, a creature of habit. And, you know, I wouldn't – I don't actually read the box scores for spring training, but – I haven't missed a day, I feel like, when it comes to to reading baseball box scores in years. So that's a weird one, maybe, for some people. But just, uh, it's something I look forward to. Just, And I don't even, I can't even tell you what I look for. I look for plate appearances. I don't really look at results. I look for pitching information because you get so much pitching information from one game. So I usually scroll down to the bottom of the box score and read what happened with the pitchers first and I focus on strikeouts and walks. Um, but I do that for every game and, um, you know, it's, it's uh, really comforting in a weird way. It's a, a thing that I look forward to every day. It seems kind of small. It takes like, you know, 20 minutes or something, but it's uh it's meaningful. So, I have to have some sort of plan for Thursday. I don't yet. I, I will. I will. I think I might break out a historical game. Uh, maybe I'll just watch something on MLB TV and just just pick a game that that I remember fondly and, and just watch it. Yeah, I mean, I really watch your favorite opening that. day game. Watch your fav- favorite game from any part of the season. I think just watching a game on Thursday will at least make an unusual situation feel 
better, even if it doesn't Ooh. completely fix it. Maybe I'll watch a Jesus Lazardo start. There you go. Yeah. Where do you He's like to look at box guy. scores at this point? Yahoo still. I don't know. Yahoo. I think everyone's got a ha- like a habit. Like everyone has a thing. Like the first place or the second place they start to look at box scores is the place they still look at box scores. It's true too because you know, I've had uh, at uh, I've had conversations with, when I was working at, at Fangraphs with David Appleman, the, the founder there, where he was basically asking me about my box score situation and like, where do I get it and why and what would I look at? And, you know, if you look at the box scores at Fangraphs, you know, like he's he's got the sort of more regular one. Um, then he, you know, you can kind of toggle between, you know, batted balls and advanced and like, it's actually way more, uh, has way more information, you know, like, you know, I could, I could look at, you know, who hit a bunch of ground balls and stuff like that. And, and I could look at pitch velocities and all that. And I don't, I go to Yahoo like I have forever and I just scroll through. One thing that I would say is that the the toggle between looking at the scores like where all the scores are aggregated and um and the box score is important to me so at yahoo you have all the scores along in a in a in a column along the side right and so you can just go down and you can hit the first one get the box score then the next one's right there you hit that you get the box score you know what i mean yeah yeah so most of the places I look at that don't have that, you have to like look at a box score, then press back to get to the scores and then pick a box score and then press back. You know what I mean? So it's a tiny little thing, but you do it every night. You kind of gravitate towards the easiest place. I started to get hooked on the baseball savant box scores when they updated those, which are mm. definitely more modern, like the fan graphs ones you were describing. And I like those because... I think the the fire emojis for hard hit balls give me the extra <laughs> like the extra I information like I want without overwhelming me. Like that's that's the simple thing. Like oh, yeah. who scorched a few balls? Which pitcher got blasted? And you can see pretty that's quickly true. in that column. Like okay, everyone pitched pretty well. Oh, that reliever had four hard hit balls against him. So that you know that was pretty bad. Who was that? Like I, I don't know. Like it's it's a simple way to convey. Uh, a kind of a new bit of important information. All right, I'm going to look at one real quick. Box score on Savant for the Yankees beating the Tigers 6-4 to four on September 12th, I think. Oh, yeah, look at those hard hit. Aaron Judge, two hard hit. Didi, like that. You got your traditional stuff for fantasy. Hard hits allowed. Pitch type. I don't know. That pitch types things is, I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't know what any of those things are. It just makes me want to play Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, man. Trivial Pursuit. Maybe we'll play that tonight. Moops. A little bit, little bit over the head of the kids. Though. <laughs> There's a kid's version, right? I mean. I think there is. It's a kid's version of almost Spencer everything. Turnbull allowed a lot of hard hit balls. Wow. Yeah, I was looking at the, the opening day Brewers box score I was just talking about from from last season, and Miles Michaelis allowed 10 hard-hit balls in five innings on opening day. He was getting mm. hammered last year. And Turnbull's not too far from Miles in that 
neither has you know standout velocity and they're trying to mix and match and make it work yeah so anyway that, that's where i've been going for box scores lately but if i wasn't going there I was going to ESPN for a long time for box scores, and I I don't I never reason like someone was asking me about it, and like it's just where I go. I don't know my 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 browsing habit for box scores starts there for some reason, and I can't really tell you why. I might I might switch to Savant. You know, one of the things I was saying is that you need to have a scroll bar, and Savant has the day's scores all across the top. They do, and the thing that I think is also helpful. At a glance, if you do like the advanced stats sprinkled in, the win probability added leaders, the pitch velocity leaders, the exit velocity leaders, and the uh, batted ball distance leaders are all there kind of in their own part of the screen on the left. So you can, you mm-hmm. can, you can sort of like opt into that if, you, if you're into it, or you can just look at the traditional and, stuff on the right. And we know that exit velocity over 108 is meaningful. So in this game alone, Luke Voigt, 111, D.D. Gregorius, 110, so... Yeah. Even Mike Ford at 108.1. So, yeah. Yeah, I like this. At the bottom, you got every every batted ball that you could do a quick sort by EV. Yeah. So, it's a good thing. And you see where, where the balls were for when they hit it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I wish, I guess the one thing I, as a pitching geek. Ah, it's, there you go. Game pitch velocity. Boom. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah when you scroll see. down, there's a ton more information too. So yeah, you can yeah. you can keep drilling down even more if you just scroll below the fold. So now I can see what Stencer Turnbull sat. He sat. He threw some 96 mile hour sinkers, but he sat 94 plus. I think maybe the reason I like it too, though, is because if something stood out to me that I wanted to look into more closely, Savant's on the short list of places I'd be going anyway to follow through so yeah and that's yeah and yahoo does but i i do play on yahoo so uh it allows me to set lineups and check box scores on the same place but yeah i don't even play in leagues on espn what am i doing i i don't i just (laughs) it's such a it's a head to where i go i think the reason i like their for like from four or five years ago i started using their daily hitting and pitching leaders they just have the game scores i think on there and mm-hmm. I'd start there because like, who, who, who had a big game, who had a bad game for among pitchers, you know, who had a big night hitting. I, that to me was the fastest way to catch up on what happened the night before. I think that's probably why I would then stay there and start clicking through the box scores off of that page. So um, that was that was my summary page that I'd start with. That's that's probably why I was looking at so many box scores uh, on ESPN for for so long. Um, one other question for you thinking about again, distractions mostly and, uh, things people are getting excited about. Uh, I mentioned at the top, the KBO intra-squad streams, they're happening at night, like 11, 12 o'clock at night, pretty late on the East coast, but not so late where you are, you know, the, uh, games in Korea, the intra-squad games are available to watch on YouTube for the most part. And if you follow my KBO on Twitter, it's Dan Kurtz. He's sharing all those links. Um, you mentioned before a possible fantasy league around the KBO. So we had a request via email from Forrest who just wanted to know where things stood with that. Is that something we might be able to get off the ground? Yeah, we're having a little bit of trouble with the data. Um, you know, uh, they are not as friendly disseminating their data uh, as a league as, as some other leagues. 
And so you basically have to scrape it. And if you're scraping it, then you run into some translation issues sometimes even with the names. Okay. And different translations for the same name. And um, and different sources there. And then um, just the format that the data is coming over right now is coming over in CSV files. And we're just a little worried that it will break a lot and would require a lot of maintenance. So um, I'm not going to give up on that. I'm, I'm trying to, to spur some innovation with a, with a group, group of people, but um, I'm also going to poke around and see if there's any existing fantasy uh, Japanese games. Um, Japan, that, that league has just been around longer, and they're doing... Um, they're doing spring spring training type stuff where they're having spring training games with nobody in the in the in the audience. So, um, and I'll have to admit that I'm a little bit more uh, comfortable talking about uh, certain players in that in that league. I, I I know a few more. I feel like over there. So um, I, I'll keep poking around. I mean, we're looking we're looking for something to do, and and Korea and and Japan are closer to playing actual games. So um, I, I'll try to get something to you for sure. Maybe we can simplify it, too, if we had to. If we can't run a traditional 5 by 5 league because of issues that come with the stats, maybe there's a way to do home run derby-style leagues or you know strikeout totals or something that at least resembles fantasy. But even watching Adrian Sampson and Dan Straley you know, pitch against their teammates yesterday, uh, that was comforting. It, it just made me feel like there's a chance we'd get back to normal. Like there's there's some hope out there of of beating the pandemic and getting life back to the way it was or something at least that resembles the way that it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was happy for for Dan to get out of there on that. He was in Australia for spring break when a lot of this hit, and I wasn't sure he was going to even go to Korea. Uh, but Korea kind of. Got a handle on things pretty pretty well. So uh, and Japan too. Both of those countries, uh, people listened to the shelter in place, and they and they had an effective testing program. I think, and um, uh, they got a handle on it uh, better than most countries actually. Both both those countries. So um, let's just hope that we do the same. Absolutely. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible, unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code DRAFT. 
That's theblacktux.com, promo code DRAFT for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. All right, so, you know, with players being mostly sent home or at least being isolated in any facilities where they might still be uh, with teammates in the case of some minor leaguers, there's this sort of question about training and being very limited, not being able to go to gyms and public workout facilities and places that players would ordinarily be in the lead up to a season. So you wrote a piece about uh, pitcher injuries and concerns about how, uh, how training might cause that. The lack of training might ultimately cause more injuries uh, while we're in this shutdown period. And you also had some interesting conversations for that piece about uh, ways teams might be able to work around that. Uh, what really stood out to you as you put that piece together as far as ways that pitchers might be able to still prepare themselves for the upcoming season while in isolation? It's funny. There's We're in a weird place right now with technology where you know, in technology and, 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 and data and training that, you know, three or four years from now, I think we'd be much better prepared for what's happening right now. Or five or six years ago, we would have been much better prepared and we're stuck in the middle. And the reason I say that is this five or six years ago, we were grasping around in the dark, more or less. We weren't wearing modus sleeves and tracking stress on every throw we didn't have the same sort of data-rich approach. And so, you know, I feel like pitchers could have more or less done some push-ups and done some jogging. Like, people, pitchers used to jog, you know? <laughs> Which is the weirdest thing. It's like, why are you jogging? <laughs> like, when when is that important for you in the game with, like, how far you can jog? But, um, you know, and so I think we were less refined and so people would have gone home and been able to do these less refined approaches and, and, and been fine. And then, you know, five or six years from now, I think we would be prepared to send a modus home with every pitcher and every pitcher would know that to wear the sleeve when they were throwing and how to, how to, you know, upload the data, how to track it, put it into a tracking system. Every team would have a tracking system where, you know, that modus data would come, come right online and the pitching coach or pitching coordinator could see and be like, ah, oh, you know what? Why don't you take a day off tomorrow? Uh, your numbers were a little bit high or low or something here. Um, and, you know, you could do a lot of sort of offline tr or, or at least non-in-person virtual training. And uh, so we're kind of stuck in this weird place where some teams have a software, you know, Kyle Bodie talked about his track software that includes elements of, you know, acute to chronic, which is like a, just a part of the way that people think about um, building up stamina and and getting ready for these acute moments where you're going to throw 120 pitches or you're going to you know you're going to go into game day mode and so he has a tracking software and each pitcher has been modeled to some extent based on stuff that's been directly measured in the past and so even though you can't directly measure right now you can use their previous models and their current workload and kind of say you know okay here's your personalized throwing program based on what you're doing and where we want you to get so I'd say probably, you know, three to five teams have something like that. Um, you know, at least when it comes to if you open it up to like a, a really good plan coming from the pitching coordinator saying, you know, um, you know, this is what we want you to do. I'd say maybe we're going to like five to ten teams. 
But I'd say there are at least 10 to 15 teams where the pitchers were just told, you know, try to play catch if you can. And I think that's going to be problematic because catch is like October, November. And we they built up to, you know, a week away, two weeks away from opening day. And then you're going to go back to October and November. The longer they stay at October, November, the more they are in October, November. And then you're going to say, hey, two weeks from now, we're going to have opening day. You're going to ramp up too fast. That's just not going to work. Yeah, it was Casey yeah. Mulholland from uh, Kinetic Pro, who you talked to for the story. Um, and I think it's it's not even just the 2020 season. If you know, if we have one that is the concern, it's is damage going to be done ramping up for this season that causes elbows and shoulders to break down in future seasons as well. I mean, there's there's short term and long term ramifications of of how this is handled. Um, and I, I think that's that's a major issue that baseball needs to think about and and be very careful with uh, as the things progress and and hopefully they do outline uh, a timetable to get things running again. And also, like when they think about what the season's going to look like, like I'm I'm hearing like why I I think I understand why baseball cares about you know, having as close to a full season. I think it has something to do with money. I think it has something to do with TV contracts. I think it has to do with, you know, normalcy, maybe to some extent, you know, trying to get a 162 in. I say, throw that out the window, man. Do not get so obsessed with 162 or 144, whatever it is that you're doing. They were talking about double headers with seven innings. It's insane. Like That's insane. Think, think it, about the way teams are kind of dealing with double like, double headers when they have to play them now, but even just extra innings games. You know, when a game runs 13, 14 innings and they don't have a day off for a few weeks. But oh, it, it's a it's a trickle-down effect that just it messes things up for a while. And I just think it, it is about money. It's always about money. But if you <laughs> if you think about it from a very logical perspective, like you're probably cutting the season in half. This is probably an 81 game season at best. Like if you're very realistic about where things are, are tracking currently and everything's changing almost by the day, even still, mm-hmm. we're still in the earlier stages of all this. But if you, if you think that there's going to be a 150 plus game season, you're out of your mind, just completely out of your mind. There, there's, there's, I, cu- I couldn't believe it. Bill James said May 15. And I was like, what are you smoking? It, it, there's no chance. There, there is absolutely they just no canceled, chance. They just canceled the Cooperstown thing for kids, the 12 year old thing. That starts in. That was supposed to start in June. They canceled it. We're behind. At the very least, we're a week or so behind Korea, who's thinking about starting in uh, in uh, what was it? In early May, but they also, you know, dealt with things a lot better. Yeah, yeah, and the the, the path way is totally ahead, different there. Right, and and they and they started way earlier. I I don't know. May fifteenth seems wildly optimistic. I I'm still, I'm sticking with June. June one is like the optimist date, and uh, you know, the All Star break basically being more realistic. But but partially it is because I want them to have like a three week spring training. 
Right. And I think what spring training is going to look like is if you have watched Neil's live, live streams, it's going to look just like what we're seeing uh, coming from the KBO. It's going to be teams working out at their big league facility together. And it's going to be empty stadiums and it's going to be intra-squad games. It's not going to be travel. There's, there are not going to be fans there. It's going to be very different. But if you can do it that way, I think you're at least giving yourself an opportunity to make make the situation as good as it can be for the physical health of the players in the short term and the long term. But if, if you have this idea as Major League Baseball that you can flip the switch and be ready in two weeks on a dime, like that's just not going to happen. It's going to take, I think it takes a month to get ready. And you can, you can do things in an empty stadium for a month. Like that's doable. But add that to your timetable of when you're going to begin the season. You can't really start doing that until May. So that's where I think your June 1st earliest date, uh, yeah, that's, that's as good as it could possibly be with everything going as well as it can. And the optimist in me wants that to happen. The realist in me knows it probably won't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess June one is, is a possibility, you know, there's a, it's an interesting thing to think about these inter-squad games and how they're going to work. Um, you know, one thing that stands out is that organizational quality, uh, top to bottom suddenly becomes paramount. I feel like you're going to be having like you're having your young hitters hit against your major league pitchers. And if they're not good enough, it's bad for both, right? The the major league hitter will feel like, God, I don't the, the the prospect hitter will feel like, oh my God, I'm out of my league. And the major league pitcher will not get in enough um will not get in enough work. You know, will not get will not get tested enough in order to uh in order to to be ready for the season. So um, you know, I think, uh, I think it's a, it's an interesting problem where I think certain teams are going to be at an advantage and those teams would be ones that have good hitting, you know? And so what I did was I just took a real quick pivot report of the teams that have, uh, so I took all top like 40 value and better hitters. So that's basically the top 250, um, uh, 200 type prospects, right? Actually, probably top 300 prospects. And I just counted up who has them. And number one is Minnesota. No, number one is Tampa Bay with 22, tied with the Yankees at 22. Then you've got Minnesota at 20 and Arizona at 18, uh, which I think is interesting. Um, and uh, the LA Dodgers with two. Hmm. So. I think that's interesting because the Dodgers obviously just made a, a a reverse, like a star play where they gave up their depth for some, for star. Right. And that's going to be fine when Mookie Betts is facing, um, you know, Clayton Kershaw, they're going to get a good workout in. Right. But then when you, you know, kind of go down to, um, the, the next, the next, like matchup, right? The next, the next group of batters, you know, facing them. I'm trying to get uh, the uh, LA Dodgers. Okay, so you got Lux, right? You got Ruiz, uh, and that's it. And the rest are going to be, you know, guys that aren't necessarily ready yet. May I like Edwin Rios a little bit, you know, but 
he's going to be the best of the sec of the B lineup. And that's going to be meaningful because that's when Tony Gonsolin comes in. And so Tony Gonsolin's going to face a lineup with one or two good batters in it. Um, so I, I wonder if there is a little bit of an advantage, uh, to these places like Minnesota and, and Arizona and Tampa where, you know, they'll be playing major league quality games almost, uh, when it comes to, uh, their interest, their split squad games, their interest squad games. Well, yeah, I think their their organizational depth, the teams with organizational depth, they're going to have more ways to create unique matchups. I, I think for more top heavy teams, you're just going to see a lot of the same pitchers over and over again. I think it's, hey, don't throw Clayton Kershaw at your double A guys. Just let him face your regulars a lot because it it doesn't. I don't think it hurts your regular hitters to face Kershaw and Bueller and Price a lot the way throwing your your yeah, a ball guys at them right yeah like and, yeah. and it's like they actually haven't faced them for the most part because they've all been his teammate for so long so it's at least mm-hmm. a unique sort of challenge for them that prepares them so i, I just think each team is gonna have to be kind of creative with how they how they put it together like how they decide to get where they want to go reps wise in intra-squad settings but i would agree that a team with a lot of depth can be more I don't know. I guess just yeah, they they can mix and match be more, more. Great, like be, be able to do more. Yeah, yeah, be able to to simulate real game action more, where people are being taken out and they have different lineups, and you know, um, so it's not you know just always Mookie Betts against Clayton Kershaw, right? Um, and, and, and like also you uh, you need to have other pitchers. You need to have some pitching depth, um, you know, in order to be able to counter the fact that let's say they do have a two week spring training from what we're looking at in KBO where they've had some, you know, some shortening of their preseason too. You said Dan Straley through about three innings. Yeah, I think it was about three, maybe four uh, before I saw relievers getting into that game last night on Monday night. So, I mean, that's, that's the functional problem other than injury. The functional problem is that they were maybe ready for about four innings before, you know, the rug got pulled out from under them. So if they go back at all, the most they'll be ready for is about three innings at the beginning. So now you're talking about, are you going to add a roster spot? And then we're going to have just like a completely different game for one year because you needed to get the game back online so quickly that you said, okay, fine. You can have, everybody can have one or two more pitchers. Now we're basically piggybacking every start or we're basically, you know, they're, they're pitching three innings before the bullpen comes in. Now we're taxing the bullpen. We're going to have a bunch of bullpen injuries later or next year. So I think keep this as much as normal as possible and hopefully they can stay, hopefully they, with the help of their teams, can stay at that level where they're at three or four innings. We have like a three-week, two-week spring training where they can bump that up to five innings and and we can get going. But I think generally there's like, there's some, uh, there's a, like a, a sort of accepted knowledge bumbling to the top of, of fantasy as we as we twiddle our thumbs, which is, that injured players are, are now a better currently injured players are now a better bet. Um, young young players that would have had innings limits are a better bet. Um, and to some extent, I believe in all of these, but I want to throw that asterisk on there that the young pitchers that were going to be on innings limit, you know, would have been better tracked right now. You know, like. Who knows what Jesus Lazardo is doing? And who knows what Mackenzie Gore is doing right now? 
And maybe it's would have been way better. I, I would assume it would be better for them if they were in camp right now, being, you know, having every throw tracked. Um, think about uh, uh, Justin Verlander coming back from injury. I don't know where he is physically, but if he was in the wrong place, he wouldn't want to go into the hospital. In fact, most of these people don't want to go into the hospital. So when it comes to most, everybody doesn't want to go to the hospital right now. So like, if it comes to just like, oh, he needs an MRI or he needs a scan or he needs to check and make sure everything, you know, from the surgery went well, does he have a place where he can do that? If he does, uh, does he contract the virus while he's there? Um, you know, uh, does he have the, the the full rehab program set out or does, you know, is he going to miss some gaps there on his rehab because, you know, he's not in front of his 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 coach? or his rehab coach, or his, or his training staff? Is he going to be able to do all the exercises he has to do for his rehab? So we're going to bet on Justin Verlander coming back. We're going to bet on James Paxton. It makes sense. I understand it. But maybe they're not going to come back. Maybe they wouldn't come back as well in this situation as they would have in a healthy, in, a, in everyone as healthy, and they can go to the, you know, they can go to the gym, or they can go to, uh, you know, the, 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 the doctor as they, as they like. Right. I mean, I, I think... The time certainly increases their chances of being on a similar level to the rest of the playing field, but it's important to consider everything you're pointing out here. It's not as simple as, oh, I'm recovering the exact same way I would have been as if things were normal. That's just not what's happening right now. Yeah, and even the young ones, like, like so there's variance now, and and the variance in a shorter season will be great for teams like the Padres and the White Sox. I think I've, I've mentioned this before. And so they will want to put their young players on the field from the get-go probably because the Blue Jays, White Sox, and Padres went from having about 3% chance of the postseason to having about 10 to 15% of the chance, uh, a chance of making the postseason in like a 100-game season. Yeah. So... So even if they there are playing time stuff, and even if the union and the, and the major league baseball like come to agreement about that, and even if it might cost them a year of ownership, a um, year of, t- of player ownership down the road, they may say, "Hey, man, in a hundred games, what if we could win sixty? You know, uh, you know, just go on a great tear. Let's let's put the 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 the, the minor leaguers in there. Great. So Mackenzie Gore, uh, first round pick." Uh, you know, got a bunch of money. Casey Mize, you know, first round pick, got a bunch of money. Guys like Lizardo and Puck were in the major leagues, at least got major league money, right? So they they have enough money where they probably secured some sort of workout situation that works for them, you know? But I think about guys like Luis Patino, who, you know, he got $160,000, yes. He got that like three years ago. How much is left and what did he spend it on? I think about Tariq Skubal, you know, for the Detroit Tigers, who was a really, you know, was not uh, paid that much. I think he was a major league um, uh, signing. No, I think he was a low draft pick. Let me see here. Tariq Skubal. I think he's like a... He was a ninth rounder. Ninth rounder. So what kind of money does a ninth rounder get? 100K probably. And, and, And he got it. Uh, he got it in 2018. So maybe, maybe he set something up or maybe he just, you know, bought a house or maybe he squirreled all the way. Maybe he didn't do anything. What, what kind of workout situation he's, is he in? And he's probably one of 
the pitching prospects with the most helium right now. So this would be the worst time for something to go wrong for him. Um, and then I think about Davey Garcia, who who got two hundred thousand um, dollars, but uh, you know was fifteen years old, right? Right, <laughs> like, and, and, and like for a for an like international do free agent that? like that, like how much money went to his handlers? Like there's all sorts yeah. of things that have to be to factored his, in. Bought his parents a house, probably, you know. Yeah. So uh, the, the I hope you put a gym in it. Um, and so you know, there's these different prospects that are right on the cusp that are right right here right now and i think i'm always going to gravitate towards pitching because i feel like a hitter um you know yes he might lose a little bit of development time in terms of seeing major league pitching but you know intra-squad he can get there hitter can um you know we're talking about in terms of equipment i think a hitter could probably find a place to to work out or at least replace a lot of that with just body work um you know using your own body as weight uh, pitching, I've seen some innovative things with J bands and like using these, these bands almost like, um, Pilates style where you're like trying to, uh, get a workout out of a, out of a rubber band basically. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, but, uh, you know, I really hope that, uh, we don't see a rash in this sort of Therese Kubal, Davey Garcia, Luis Patino group that, um, you know, or even, I mean, even ones I haven't come up with that just, uh, didn't get anything, you know, and are, are scratching their way to the top and are right there. Uh, and right now we're trying to figure out how to stay, start to stay healthy and stay trained basically. Yeah. There are plenty of players who are in bad financial situations right now who don't have a home gym or the resources around them to train the way they normally would right now. I think that's the, the big takeaway here. And there will be an impact on those players as this plays out. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we are going to push back the questions I mentioned earlier. Street cred, Zach Plezak's pickoff move, which is part of a broader question, by the way. Uh, and another way to think about playing historical fantasy. We'll get to those on our Thursday episode. I think Beer of the Week is going to make its triumphant comeback as a weekly segment for at least a little while. And you know, we'll get back to Beer of the Month probably when things get more normal. Um, by the way, uh, as many of you know, like everything has been stopped. We're still writing stories. We're still doing pods. We still have a staff of 400 working tirelessly to come up with engaging stories. And uh, you can get 40% off subscription to The Athletic going to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Everything we do is included, of course. Uh, there's a 90-day trial out there. So if you don't have a subscription yet and you're not sure or you're in a situation where you can't pay right now, totally understandable. Check out that 90-day trial. Uh, it's just a good way to help pass the time uh, as many of us are, are now really in this isolated state for the foreseeable future. Uh, if you're enjoying the show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We greatly appreciate that. Uh, if you want to reach us via email, you can do that rates and barrels at theathletic.com. We've been on top of the Project GOAT emails, I think, pretty well to this point. If you've asked for the worksheet and you haven't received it by the end of the day on Tuesday, Give us another nudge in the email account. We'll make sure we get that to you ASAP. And thanks to everybody who's starting to submit them. We're, we're, we're going to collate them. And uh, uh, I think there, there'll have to be a twist you know, once we, we get... Because we've given out to a lot of you. <laughs> so, so many people have taken the sheet. This is going to be a really big leaderboard. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a pretty big undertaking to score it. But we'll, we'll get it done. Uh, deadline is next week, Wednesday, April 1st, noon Eastern. Uh, you can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.